Welcome to Seeking Christ in the Scriptures, the teaching and preaching podcast from McConnell Road Baptist Church in Greensboro, North Carolina. My name is Matthew Tilly, and I'm the pastor of McConnell Road Baptist, and we're glad that you've joined us for this podcast. If you'd like to learn more about the church, please visit us online at mcconnellroadbaptist.org. What is it I'm actually doing when I'm preaching to y'all? Why, why am I preaching to you? And I'm, I'm thinking, well, they're all, they all claim to be saved, so am I trying to get them saved? And I said, no, they're already saved. What am I trying to preach to them about? And, and I think it's the fact that what I believe God has called me to do, and I, I'm just being as plain with y'all as I've ever, ever been about this, what I believe God has called me to do at this time in history, this moment in the world, is to be a pastor of a church, happens to be McConnell Road Baptist Church, and to call his people to be the church in a dark and broken generation, to call us back to be what we're supposed to be. Because by the way, you, again, I'm, please don't, don't take this wrong. I appreciate her song, but we'll never get America back to God until the church gets back to Jesus. See, I think that's where we get it wrong, is we, we sort of just, we want to fix Washington. And Washington is not the problem. The problem is that God's people who are called by God's name do not humble themselves. God's people who are supposed to be following after Jesus are following after the trinkets and the trash and the treasures of this world. And I believe what God has called me to do, and I hope this don't offend y'all, but I really do believe this is why I'm supposed to be in a pulpit, and I believe it's this one, is to call the church to Jesus to get our priorities right, because when that happens, I'm not going to change the world, but you know what God can do through his people? He can change the world through his people. He absolutely can. One man can't do it. I, I can't. And in fact, if I even try, I'll get, I can get a big enough head, because I've got a pretty big head to start with, but I can get a big enough head to think I might be able to change something. That's the minute that God's going to make me flat on my face, and he's done it time and time again. <laughs> but what he's told me I can do, and I'm pretty sure of this, is I can call his people back to him, and he'll work through his people. You're a powerful force for change, for transformation, for regeneration in this world. But you have to be submitted to God. That's my, that's my appeal to you. I want to ask you to turn now to the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 9. We're going to look at the first 13 verses of Mark chapter 9. The title of this message is to encourage you to keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. I want to read this passage. I hope you'll see how our eyes should be on Jesus just by listening to the, to the, to the words of the passage, but then I want to take a few minutes and pull a thought from this that I hope will help you. Mark chapter 9, I'll begin in verse 1. I'm going to ask if you're able to stand with me, to stand out of reverence for the reading of the Lord's words. Mark chapter 9, beginning in verse 1, it tells us, and he, and this is Jesus talking, he said unto them, Verily I say unto you, he's talking, if you'll remember from the previous verses, he's talking to his disciples, that there be some of them that stand here which shall not taste of death till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. And after six days Jesus taketh with him Peter and James and John and leadeth them up into a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. 
And his raiment became shining, exceeding white as snow, so as no fuller of earth can white them. And there appeared unto them Elias with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter answered and said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here, and let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elias. For he wist not what to say, for they were sore afraid. And there was a cloud that overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son, hear him. And suddenly, when they had looked round about, they saw no man anymore save Jesus only with themselves. And as they came down from the mountain, he charged them what, that they should tell no man what things they had seen till the Son of Man were risen from the dead. And they kept them, and, and they kept that saying with themselves, questioning one with another what the rising from the dead should mean. And they asked him, saying, Why say the scribes that Elias must come first? And he answered and told them, Elias verily cometh first, and restoreth all things. And how it is written of the Son of Man that he must suffer many things and be set at naught. But I say unto you that Elias is indeed come. And they have done unto him whatsoever they listeth, as it is written of him. Let's pray together. Lord, I want to ask you to help us to see Jesus this morning. Help us to see him high and lifted up. Please do not allow the things of this world to blind us. Take away the scales from our eyes. Help us to behold his beauty and to be in love with Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. In verse 1, Jesus makes a promise. He makes a promise in this particular context to the disciples. He says, there's some of y'all that are listening to me that will see the kingdom of God come with power. You're going to see the glory of God come about. You're going to see something amazing. And I, I want to go ahead and tell you that I believe that promise extends not just to the disciples, but I believe it, that promise extends to you and I. We are going to see, we have seen the glory of God. We're going to see it come in power. We're going to see that. I believe that every man, woman, and child, if they put their faith in Jesus, will see that. This glory that I'm talking about, that Jesus is talking about here, it was foretold in the past. They were to go back, in fact, these disciples, you'll see at the last part of the passage, verses 11, 12, and 13, they're, they're referencing a, a prophecy in Malachi, Malachi chapter 4. In Malachi chapter 4, the last few verses of Malachi 4, it's really the last few verses of the book of Malachi, there was a promise that there would come a day when it would be a day of reckoning for sinners. It would be a day of reconciliation sinners that would turn against God would see the punishment, receive the punishment that was due them, but there would also be those who want to follow after Christ, to follow after the, the, the Messiah, that they would be reconciled with their families. There would be reconciliation against people who would normally and naturally be against each other, that he would come and he would reconcile them together. He said specifically, he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers. That was a glory that was foretold in the past. That glory by the disciples you see in this passage, they got a glimpse of that glory, just a little bit of a glimpse of that glory. 
They got to see the brightness of his glory. They got to see the light of the knowledge of the glory of Christ. You see that in, in, verse, in verse 3 where his raiment is shining and it said it was so white. It said not even a, a fuller or a cleaner couldn't even get it that clean. He said it, was, it would be like you couldn't bleach it that white. It was just so bright and so white. They got to see that little glimpse of glory. And I, I want to let you know that you too can glimpse the glory of Christ with eyes of faith. We won't get to see this transfiguration, this transformation moment that the disciples saw where he's something on the mountain and then all of a sudden he's bright and glorious. But with eyes of faith, we can see that too. If that, has that ever happened to y'all? I know it has to me. Where you're sitting, particularly maybe in a church service somewhere, and somebody's preaching or a song is sung, and, and everything just sort of normal and everything just kind of as it was, but then it's almost like there's a brightness and again, it's not bright in the room, you understand, but it's a, a brightness in my soul because it, I see the glory of Christ, how beautiful He really is. I get those glimpses from time to time. Uh, sometimes that happens whenever you're meditating on Scripture. I remember one of the most, most, most compelling time for me was one time, uh, I don't know if y'all know this or not, I've mentioned it a few times, but I, I do uh, some longer distance running from time to time. And a couple years ago, I was running a race up in the mountains and it was a downhill race. And uh, they were taking us in a bus up to the top of the mountain so we could run down it. And it's about 6 o'clock in the morning about to run this race, and I'm just sitting there. I don't know anybody on that bus. I'm just sitting there, and I'm, I'm talking to the Lord as I'm sitting on that bus. And I, I, I don't know how to explain it. I can't put words to it. But there was an illumination in my spirit that I've never, I've, I don't think I've experienced anything quite like it. It was the most unusual thing. I don't even know why it happened. But it did. In that moment, I was just meditating on the things of the Lord and what was going to be coming up that weekend and all those things. And there was just a spiritual movement in my, in my soul. Uh, and there's any other number of ways y'all might describe this, but I believe we get glimpses of that. But can I tell you, those are just merely glimpses of it because the best is yet to come. Because there's a glory that is going to be enjoyed in the future. It is a glory that's going to be enjoyed in the future. In fact, because that glory, they just get a glimpse of it. The disciples get a glimpse of it, but there's a hint that there's more to come. That's part of why the disciples are confused in verse 9. That's why they're questioning in verse 11. What is going on here, Jesus? What is happening? It's why we say with the psalmist in Psalm 13, Oh Lord, how long? How long? How long has this got to go on? But you need to understand that the glory of God and we will see it. Like I said, it's been promised. We'll see glimpses of it. But one day we will see it in its totality. It will be with us. We will be with him forever. But the glory of God always and only follows humiliation and suffering. Do you know that without the suffering of Jesus Christ, I would never see the glory of God? Do you understand that without his suffering, I do not have salvation? I don't even get glimpses. Those glimpses that you've enjoyed, that I've enjoyed, do you know those are the grace of God, enabled and provided by the grace of God that was shed upon us by the cross of Jesus Christ, his shed blood on the cross? The only reason that I even get glimpses of it, and the only reason I have the future to look forward to, is because Christ suffered, he died. He says in verse 12 that he must suffer many things the disciples didn't understand that at this point we know because we've read the rest of the book at least i hope you have and the rest of the book tells me that jesus would be beaten he would suffer physically 
But the suffering physically would pale in comparison to his spiritual suffering when he is hanging between heaven and earth, facing the Father, the God of the sovereign God of the universe, his Father, his beloved Father, looks at his beloved Son, and he's got all of the sins of the world on his shoulders. And the Father rejects the Son, crushes the Son, bruises the Son, takes my sin, and destroys it in Christ. And my Jesus is there suffering, suffering, and suffering in a way that I can't even imagine, much less put words to. He's suffering. Why is he suffering? Because there's a glory to come. Because he suffered, there's glory to come. So I want you to see for just a minute that there is a glory that is to come. That humiliation precedes Christ's glory. But in that process, you understand that y'all got to go through some suffering as well. Please don't misunderstand this. Let's don't get this twisted. I want to make sure we're real quick, we're clear on this. My suffering doesn't save me. Christ's suffering did that. But as part of his suffering, having fellowship, participating, partaking of his suffering, Peter writes, I get to partake in his suffering. And it's a privilege and it's an honor. It hurts, but it's a privilege and it's an honor. And because I have partaken of his suffering, because his suffering settled it all, When I follow him, as Jesus said just verses prior to this in chapter 8 of Mark, I'm going to deny myself, and I'm going to pick up my cross. And the way to the cross is not the way to an amusement park ride. It's the way of a cross is suffering. The way of the cross is humiliation. So as we are looking forward to that day of glorification, which we will see Christ lifted up, we will see glimpses of Christ now, he gives us those graces as we do that, I want to encourage you, to keep your eyes on Jesus. That's exactly what the Father does. Look at verse 7. There's a, there's a cloud that shows up in this, this experience. Because you remember in verse 4 and 5, you've got uh, 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 Moses, and it says Elias in the King James, which is essentially a, a reference to Elijah of the Old Testament. That's the prophet that's mentioned there. So you've got Elijah, who you may know as Elijah, and Moses. They're showing up there. And Peter, he's getting all tongue-tied. He's like, man, we ought to make some, some tents for these guys. And And the father shows up and says, hang on a minute, y'all. Hang on a minute. Look what he says. He says right at the end, this is my beloved son. Not Moses, not Elijah. This is my beloved son. Don't don't get confused. Don't start looking at everything else. Look at Jesus. He's the one. He's the one you need. He's the one you need to listen to. He's the one who's glorious. He's the one that the Old Testament, Moses in some senses represents the law of the Old Testament. Elijah in some senses represents the prophets of the Old Testament. So you now have two men who represent the whole of the Old Testament. And the father's saying, you know all that stuff about the stuff in the Old Testament? It's not bad. It's all good. It's my word. But it all is telling you about this one. His name is Jesus. It's all about Jesus. He is the one. In fact, the view that we need is what we see in verse 8, that after the Father says that, they look around and they saw no man anymore save Jesus only with themselves. We need to get that kind of view in mind where we see only Christ, we see only Him. Everything else, if it helps us see Him more, fine, let's use it. But the minute it doesn't, we put it away. We want to see Jesus. We want to see Him. We need to be careful not to be blinded by our traditions. As I said, you have the law and the prophets, Moses and Elijah, and they're standing there. And if I'm Peter, I've been trained in the Jewish way. I've been brought up, can I put it in 
southern United States vernacular. And I went to Sunday school all my life. My mama told me about the Old Testament. I mean, that, this is the man who grew up like this. He knows all of this. And Moses and Elijah, I mean, they're, they're, pretty, they're pretty big deals. And he's seeing them up there. And what does he do? He says, uh, let's make some tents so we can make this glory last a little bit longer. Let, let's make some little tabernacles, little tents, so we can all sit here and hang out a little bit. Let's have camp meeting. That's what he's saying. Let's have some camp meeting. Now, some of y'all that know what I'm talking about, about camp meeting. Let's just hang out here a little bit. Let's just let the glory flow. Let's just hang out here. This is good. This is good stuff. But what he's missing is that he's now put Moses and Elijah and Jesus all on the same level. Let's sit here and worship Elijah, Moses, and Jesus. And all the while, he's got the glory of Christ in front of him. If you go back and look at those verses, I don't see anywhere where Elijah and Moses are shining and bright. They just see Elijah and Moses. Jesus is the one shining and bright. In fact, Luke's account of this in Luke chapter 9, do you know what they're talking about? This is amazing to me. I didn't know this until I was studying for this message for y'all. But in Luke chapter 9, do you know what Jesus and Moses and Elijah are talking about? They're talking about the crucifixion. They are literally talking about Jesus about to die on the cross. And that is what Jesus refers to later in, in his ministry. He refers to that as his glorification. He says, I'm looking forward to that. And here's Elijah, Moses, and, um, and Jesus talking about the crucifixion. And here's Peter saying, let's hang on to this a little bit longer. What I think we can do very easily is we can glorify our traditions over Jesus. What was, it that you, what was it that you were doing when you saw Jesus, when you got that glimpse of glory? What was it that introduced you to that glimpse of glory? And as right as that is, sometimes we can get a little hung up on that as if that's the thing that we need to be worshiping. I am, and I'm probably one of the, there's a handful of us left, I guess, who can say I was born and bred and raised independent fundamental baptist and that's uh that's almost a term of uh, embarrassment anymore just because of a lot of reasons for that and i believe that the independent fundamental baptist movement has done a lot of good otherwise i'd jump ship and do something else by the way i'd figure that out later on <laughs> but i'm just saying i think it's done a lot of good i really do but there are also some people and maybe y'all are among them who will hold that movement up as if that is the thing to relish and hang on to. Let me tell you that the minute that the independent fundamental Baptist movement starts to try to overshadow the glory of Christ, the minute that movement tries to take over the glory of Christ, the minute that that movement becomes more important to me than seeing a glimpse of my Savior is the minute that movement is no longer of any use to anyone. I could go further and say that about any denomination. If you're from another denomination, if that's what your upbringing is, and there's some, there's some folks, uh, some of the folks who are in other uh, types of churches who uh, I think they love the Lord, and I think they've done some good in our country, absolutely. But those movements, those denominations, they do not, they do not deserve the worship. They do not deserve our attention. They can help bring us to Christ, I was saved in an independent Baptist church, absolutely. I was I matured as a Christian in those kinds of churches. I'm now pastoring one of those. All those things help me to see Christ. But if I'm 
focusing on that. The same can be said, by the way, if maybe you're not all hung up on the independent Baptist, maybe that's not your thing, but some people get a little hung up on worship styles. And I say that, and if you've ever been to church, you know that can be, a, I mean, that's just fighting words right there. You know, oh my goodness, don't do that. Don't like that kind of thing. Don't like it that way. And, and, and I say that as one who has very, very, very specific opinions about music. I understand that. Even worship styles as it is. I've got very specific. You want to talk about them? Let's talk about them sometime. But I ain't going to do it right now. My point is, i got opinions about them. But those things are not the glory of Christ. Those things can actually overshadow the glory of Christ. I know one that some of y'all might have, and I'm going to be very respectful when I say this. I was reminiscing about the, I've been thinking about the, this church for a little bit, this, this couple weeks, trying to think about how we're going to do the 75th um, anniversary. By the way, it's coming up. It's October. Make sure you invite anybody you know, and I'm trying to get together a list of special guests that we want to have and honor them and things like that. Um, but I was looking, thinking back, and as best as I can tell, and I talked to Bruce Burden, he, I think he confirmed this. We might be wrong on this, but I think we're pretty close. There's a very, uh, there's maybe two or three names that we could name that have history at this church to some of the former pastors. But I'd say well north of 90, 95% of you either came to this church or, well, started coming to this church, but do that. We started coming to this church and began uh, really getting faithful in this church under Pastor Wayne Wright. I'd say this is a church that, while it was, we could argue, and argue, I think we'd be right to say that Pastor Ellis built it. I mean, I was talking to his son, our grandson, the other day. He built the, he dug the foundation. So we know Brother Ellis was part of that, building it. But we also know that this church, in large part of what it is today, because of the work, the love, the prayer of Pastor Wright. And I think y'all would y'all know that. I think if you know him in a way that I didn't, you'd know that. I say this, and please understand, I say this with all respect, and I believe that Pastor Wright, I, would, I don't know him, but I would imagine he would agree with this. I would hope he would. If your hope and your faith is in Pastor Wayne Wright, you've missed it. He was a good man. God used him, a godly man, a good preacher, a friend of people in this community, not to mention this church. But Wayne Wright didn't save y'all. I hope one day I can even be a quarter of the preacher he was and the pastor he was. Matthew Tilly ain't never going to save you. You have got to get out of your mind that whatever was in the past was so wonderful, and that's what we need to recapture. No, you do not. You need Jesus. You need to see Him high and lifted up. And if there's any preacher that stands in this pulpit that is worth his salt, he's not talking about what used to be and how we're going to get it back again. He's going to talk about how we're going forward for the cause of Christ, how we're seeing Jesus. We can get so wrapped up in our little Christian subculture that it's our little tradition. And by the way, I, let me tell you, I know Christian subcultures. I'm, I'm the king of them. I know them. I went to Bob Jones University. Let me tell you about Christian subcultures. I know about all that stuff. Probably in ways that y'all don't understand about it. But we can get so hung up on that garbage and we miss 
the beauty of Jesus. At best, these things, men, movements, ideas, practices, these things can be temporarily used by God to point us to His glory. Absolutely. Everybody in this church, I, with, without a doubt, I would be willing to, to put money on the table if I wasn't a Baptist preacher and gamble on this thing, that somebody led you to the Lord. There was a man or a woman or a friend, mama, daddy, that showed you something about Jesus. That's wonderful. But that person didn't save you. Jesus saved you. You need the glory of Christ. Those are the best. These things are used by God to show us His glory, but at worst, they can steal His glory for a temporal pleasure. You have to understand that the church is the pillar and the ground of the truth. This is what Peter, or Timothy says. First Timothy, Peter, or Paul says in 1 Timothy 3.15, but the church is built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Everything in this world will pale in comparison to the glory of Jesus that is to come. For the sake of time, I'm going to skip over to one more thing. I want to point out to you that these men, Peter particularly, they're a little, they're a little concerned about what Jesus is saying. They're like, Jesus, we want to see the glory. We want to see some glory. We, we want to see this. We, 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 want to, we, want to, we want to understand. And you're talking about dying. You're talking about pain and suffering. We want to see this, the glory. And that's what I said they, they, in verses 12 and 13, or verse 11, excuse me. They, they reference back, like, Elijah's come. Doesn't that mean, doesn't that mean the good stuff's going to start? And can, I, can I just level with y'all the, the glory, the excitement? That's always good, isn't it? I like exciting. Don't y'all like exciting? I mean, who likes to go to a basketball game and one team's blowing out the other team. I don't care if it is your team. I don't like to do that. I like to go watch it when it's just right on the edge and you don't know who's going to win and everybody's fighting and screaming because it's exciting. Woo! You get on to it, right? I, I, who likes to come to church and sit on the pew and the preacher's up there just, he's not even interested in what he's talking about. Nobody in the pew is interested in what they're talking about. You know, Sunday morning at McConnell Road Baptist Church. <laughs> Oh my goodness, I ought not have said that. But no, but who, who, who likes to do that? Well, I mean, I hope I don't like to do it. I and mean, honestly, I don't think anybody really likes to do that. I, I understand there's different ways of preaching and, and singing. I understand all that, but we like to enjoy it a little bit. No, it's glory. And I like glory. I like, I like excitement. But what these men were doing is they were saying, well, well, Elijah's already come, so the excitement can start now, right? They, they were more interested in the excitement, and, and Jesus says, no, no, hang on a minute. You need to understand that, yes, it says Elijah's going to come, and he does come, but he's here, he's been, and, and, and you know who he was, and, and they make it clear over in, um, in Matthew 17, where this, this incident's referenced, they, they understand what Jesus is saying here. His name is John the Baptist, and he's come. And you know what they did to John? They cut his head off. I want you to understand that, yes, it's exciting. And we like the good emotions and woo and all that good stuff. But the point is not the excitement. It's what we're getting excited about. Even John, John the Baptist understood this. He says, and this is in John chapter 3, John the Baptist says, he that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because the bridegroom's voice. 
I'm afraid that sometimes we can get so excited about our excitement that if Jesus Christ himself stood on the podium, we would say, could you please sit down, sir? We're doing something here. I think we can get so focused on what we want, our emotions, that we miss God's purposes in it all. I I like revival and excitement. I'm not going to deny that. I enjoy that. And it's all good if we're excited about Jesus. I I like times of growth in our church. If, If the purpose of that growth is Jesus is the cause of the growth. Because, you know, growth can be good in a little child. But as a 43-year-old man, I ain't looking for a whole lot of growth. Because that means I'm gaining weight, or I've got cancer, or something bad's going on when I'm growing. You understand. We don't want growth in a 43-year-old man. But anyway, it's great if God is the cause of it. But on the other side, there's negative emotions. We're saying, we don't want these emotions. We don't want that. That's not the emotion we want to avoid. We want to avoid the pain. So I'm afraid of change, so I avoid change. And, and I would agree with you, let's don't change anything. As long as Jesus is the center, let's stick right there. But the minute that we get off course, and by the way, we're human, this happens, this happens all the time, where we always get off course, something goes awry, we might as well just abandon ship and kind of skip back to our true north. His name is Jesus. Let's focus on him. And whatever that means, we need to be willing to change to get there. We don't like the shame of exposed sin. I hate my sin exposed. I hate it. It upsets me when my sin is exposed. But you know what we ought to do? This is what the Bible teaches. We need to embrace exposing our sin so that Christ can be glorified in us. So that when we bring it up and say, Lord, I confess it, it's wrong. It's embarrassing, it's shameful, this ought not be. But you know what it should do when we do that? We get to see Jesus for who he is. But see, what we want to do is we want to justify. Well, we're, we're, just, we're just trying to, you know, we're just trying to make everybody feel good. But we need to turn our eyes upon Jesus and let him transform our emotions in our heart. I want to get this point across to you. I have been personally ready to accomplish something for Christ for a long time now. I ain't done it yet, but I'm ready for it. (laughs) I'm ready for it. And also know that as much as I'm ready for it, and I have been for some time now, I also know that I am so easily blinded by my traditions and my confusion and my emotions So much so that I can't help but mix up accomplishing something great for God with copying some of the great men of the past. Honestly, when I stand to preach, what's in my mind are some of the old Southern Baptist preachers of the past that come to my mind. People like, I love Vance Habner. He's one of my favorites. I'd love to be a man like that. That's what I think of, and that's what I... But then I've got to look back at this, and hang on, am I looking at some model of a perfect preacher in the past. Instead, what I need to do is put my eyes on Jesus. I tend to shrink in fear. In church, I'm talking to y'all because y'all, you, I mean, one of, the bad, one of the things we have is a bad habit in this church. It's a bad habit in a lot of churches, but we have it here for sure. 
Sometimes we don't like to talk about some things that are obvious. We all know what's going on. We talk about it like that, but we don't talk about it, you know. I think it might be a southern thing. I don't know. It may not be a church thing, but I don't know what it is. But as much as I say, something for God, I want to accomplish something for Christ, but I'll shrink back in fear because we've had a few folks leave our church. Because I'm worried, as I told you at the beginning of the church, I'm worried about the impact of the virus, right, wrong, indifferent. I'm worried about what that's going to do to our church. And then I'll say, well, well you know, I, I want excitement. But then I start saying, well, why do I want excitement? Well, I say because I want God's presence, but I'm afraid I want the excitement then I, more than I want God's presence because you know what God's presence is going to do? Sometimes it doesn't excite you. You know, sometimes it does, it humbles you. Because I'm worried about when I deal with sin, the blowback that I get. I don't even like to deal with it in my own life. I sure don't like to deal with it in yours. But you see, the, the thing is that if I want to see the glory of God, I have to be willing to deny myself, pick up my cross, follow him to death. I've asked God to transform my heart and purify my motives and my desires because I really do want to act on behalf of his glory. And I really do understand, I think, that it involves suffering. But I, for one, am tired of living blindly. Blinded by tradition, blinded by my emotions. I want to see Jesus. Do you want to see Jesus? Do you? Are you willing to do whatever that takes to put your life, on the, literally your life on the line to do that? Your reputation, are you willing to do that? I don't know that we are. And I, I, you don't have to convince me. Y'all can say, amen, raise your hand, and woo, yeah, we're going to do it. That's great. I mean, I'm impressed with you. But who cares? God's the one you're going to need to talk to. You need to make a commitment to him. This is my, that's my encouragement to you. Jesus is the hope of the world. Jesus is your Savior. Jesus is a friend who will never leave you. Jesus will take care of you. He will take care of you through to the end, and he will show you great and mighty things. Jesus is the one who's going to do that. He is glorious in a way that nothing in this world can compare to. Will you listen to him? Will you follow him? And will you look for him and not be satisfied with anything else? If you're not saved this morning, I want to invite you to come to that Jesus. He's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful saint. If you are a Christian, won't you come to Jesus too? <laughs> you need him. You need him. You're not done with him. You need him now. Come to Jesus. Thank you for joining us for Seeking Christ in the Scriptures, the teaching and preaching podcast from McConnell Road Baptist Church in Greensboro, North Carolina. I'm Pastor Matthew Tilley, and I'm so glad you joined us here. But if you'd like to learn more about the church, please visit us online at mcconnellroadbaptist.org.